Saturday, and welcome to the Daily Walk. You are on day 358. You are so nearing the end of getting through the Bible from cover to cover. And I don't know about you, but you should feel good about that. We are on the last book of the Bible called Revelation And it's a revelation that John, the Apostle John, gets while he is uh, exiled to the island of Patmos, and he gets a revelation from Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And this is so good, and a lot of people are afraid of revelation because it seems apocalyptic. But it starts out really good with messages to the seven churches, and it's so, so, so good because it relates to our own disposition in our Christian walk. So happy Christmas Eve's Christmas Eve, and let's get on the way with this because this is so good. And it starts off with John talking about his situation and he says, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ, who God gave him to show his servants and events that must soon take place. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Now remember, I've been trying to dispel the the way obey is taken. Remember, obey means to follow or to come along with, okay? So we're not going to look at it any longer as a harsh thing. It's a good thing, okay? So Paul, or there I go again. John says, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. So he's given us a greeting from Jesus himself. And Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. So then John says a little about how this came to be. And this is all relevant. This is really important. I love this part because this applies to any one of us. This could happen. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's Day, okay, which for many of us will be tomorrow. And I was worshiping in the spirit. This is key words. When we go to our worship service tomorrow, we really need to go with an expectation and worship in the spirit. You know, Jesus told the woman at the well that when she was talking about, 
you guys worship in Jerusalem, we worship at Mount Gerizim, you know, and why is that? You got to have your place, we got to have our place. And Jesus said, oh, if you only knew, the day is coming where it won't matter where you worship because we worship in the spirit. That's what the Lord really wants is that we worship in the spirit. And guess who wrote that book? That's in John, John chapter four. <laughs> so there's something about this worshiping in the spirit, right? Because when we worship in the spirit, it says, suddenly I heard. I only highlighted to there because when we worship in the spirit, that's when we hear and we sense and we are in the presence of the Lord. He is the Holy Spirit. If we want to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit, we got to worship in the Spirit. And unless we come into his presence, and you know, one of his complaints against the church is they get complacent. And when we just go to church for the motions, we're not there in the Spirit. And so this is key. Right off the bat, he says, I'm, I'm there. I'm exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God, okay? So sometimes, somewhere, we could be, you know, I, I'm coaching at a public school right now, and there's a lot of things I can't do there that I used to do at a Christian school. And so sometimes I feel exiled, right? But I know some of the families, and I know some of the families pray, and I know they're Christian, at least to some degree. And so I know that I can pray with those kids, right? And then one of the kids even said in our locker room meeting one time, can we pray? Which I was all for. But, of course, there was the legalist in the presence that said we can't do that here because of such and such and such and such, okay? But when we come into the presence of the Lord on the Lord's day, we can worship in the spirit, and that's when we hear. So that's when he heard this loud voice behind him, and it said, write a book, everything you see, and, and send it to the seven churches. And so the seven churches we're gonna hear about are the church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, he's going to have complaints against all these churches. Jesus is, except for two. And the two, I'll just spill right now, are Smyrna and Philly, Philadelphia. They are doing some good things. They're persevering, and they are doing what God wants them to do. And we'll get to those here in a second. And so then Paul, or Paul, man, I wish I would stop that. I'm sorry, I apologize. John says and describes, not only did he hear, but this is what he sees. Standing in the middle was, a, was what appeared to be the Son of Man, and he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair, hair were like white, wool and was white as snow 
His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand. This will be key later. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun and all its brilliance. So when John sees him, he fell at his feet as if he were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. Ooh. That's key because we're going to hear that in the Christmas story tomorrow. Don't be afraid. That brings us peace. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. These are in red letters. That means it's Jesus speaking. And I told the keys of death, and I hold the keys, sorry. I hold the keys of death and the grave. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No longer in the grave. He's alive and well forever and ever. And he holds the keys to death. So he tells John to write everything down that he's about to say because he's going to send it to the seven churches. And so the next two chapters, we're in Revelation 1 through 3, is about what he has to say to the seven churches. So the first church he writes to is Ephesus. And this, if we've been to church at all and never heard sermons on this, this is the one we know and have heard probably and remember because Jesus starts off with Ephesus and says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance, and how you tolerate evil people. But I have this complaint about you. You don't love me as you did at first. <laughs> Look how far you've fallen. And it just reminds me of a relationship. And, you know, one of the things my wife and I try to always remember is the little things. Don't forget the little things. When I do marriage counseling, I always talk about do the little things. And when you're in a relationship and you're starting out and you're trying to impress each other, you always do all these little things that try to show the other one how much you care about them, how much you love them. And it's the same in your relationship with Jesus when you first come into a saved and maybe sanctified, which we hope it's God's will for you to be sanctified. Relationship with Jesus, you do things to show you're committed to that relationship. You'll share Jesus with people, you'll you'll serve in the church, you'll do things, but then once that relationship gets more comfortable, especially in uh, the personal relationships you have with man and wife, spiritual is the same. You tend to get comfortable in it, and those little things get laxed. And that happens in the church too. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, you don't love me like you first did because you don't show it like you first did. So our prayer life gets laxed. Our daily Bible reading gets lax. There's why, you know, that's why so many of us have never even read the whole Bible. 
We might pick it up when we need it in times of turmoil or stuff, but we've never read the whole Bible. Our prayer life suffers the most because, you know, and, and that's not to say it's just laymen or people that attend church. I've sat in pastor meetings that sit there and confess that they don't have a prayer life. And it just behooves me because it's like, man, I couldn't do pastoral ministry if I didn't have my prayer time with God every morning, which I've already had today before I ever do this. And it's like, oh, my goodness. And so Jesus is saying, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Come back to me. Start doing the little things. Start doing the spiritual discipline. Start showing Jesus how much you want to be in that relationship again. Be his witness again. You know, think about that. When it, we, we don't pray with people like we used to. We don't witness to people like we used to because we've gotten comfortable in our own situation that we are no longer outreaching. We're takers, not givers. And Jesus said in Matthew, freely you have received, now freely give. <laughs> and, and, you know, if we have the greatest gift of life everlasting ever given us, why wouldn't we want to tell a friend? Woo. So the Lord is telling us, hey, come on. You got to get that going. Or when I come back, I'm not going to know you. So then the Lord talks to the church of Smyrna, and here's one that he doesn't have a complaint with. He just is encouraging them. Hey, I, I know about your suffering. I know about your poverty and how you do things for the rich. I know the people that give you grief all the time. Don't be afraid of what you suffer. The devil's going to make it worse for you. He's going to throw some of you into prison and you'll suffer. But you know what? I will give you the crown of life. So even when you suffer, even when people give you grief, remember what you do. Paul wrote it in Colossians 3.22. When you suffer for me, when you suffer for doing good, when you suffer for doing the right things, and he's encouraged them. You're doing it not for man, but for Jesus. And he's going to reward you with the crown of life. What life? Not this life. The life everlasting. And that's what we do it for. Not for man, but for Jesus. And even though we may not understand, we got to understand that he's working in that. So some of us might relate to that, especially in our job situations, you know, and the people we work with in our job situations. We just got to persevere, and that's Jesus encouraging us as a church of like Smyrna that you do it. Remain faithful because I'm going to give you the crown of life. And so the next church he writes to is a church in Pergamum, and he says, I know you live in a city where Satan is rampant. I know you live where uh, people 
do bad things and you refuse to let it get you and you, you stay strong even when you see your own people martyred for my sake. But here's my complaint. You tolerate some false teachers. So you get people that are in your church that bring a false witness. They come to church and they act like they do things the way they're supposed to, but then they leave church and they're a whole different cat. They come to church and they do things like they're supposed to, but then they go out and they represent in a whole different way. And in this thing, you know, Jesus taught him is talking about sin offered to idols and committing sexual sin. So eating food offered to idols and committing sexual sins. So we come into church and we act like we do all the right things, but then we leave and we fall back into the ways of the world right away. We speak unedifying words. We speak harshly. We speak with sarcasm and a bunch of hate, <laughs> you know, we sleep around with people that we shouldn't be doing and we commit adultery or fornication and that's not what God wants from us. And then we come into church in the same temple that we're worshiping God with is the same one that was out there letting all the evil run rampant through it. And he's like, I am not gonna tolerate that. Repent of your sin or I'll come and suddenly and fight against you. And so that, it, to me, is something to be aware of because somewhere, somehow, I've seen that where it all catches up. And he wants us to be aware of that. And then he has a message for the church of Thyatira. I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, but I have this complaint against you. You're permitting that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin. And this is this is really one where you have, and, and I've been witness to this as well, where we have a church or a body of people that is all wanting to be in the center of God's will, but their leader is knowingly having some kind of sexual encounter with somebody in the church or outside the church, and the people know it and they tolerate it. And I saw that with another entity one time, and the people got upset about it, but they did nothing about it. They just looked the other way. And some left for a while, but they went back. And when we don't take a stand against that and cast that out, we're saying we accept that behavior and that that's okay. And we know that's not okay. We know with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength that's not okay. We know that's wrong. We know that's wrong. Even in a worldly point of view, that's wrong. And so... God is like, I'm not going to deal with that. Here's what he says he's going to do. I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from their evil deeds. 
And that, you know, how do we deal with that? Well, we have to first remove the entity, right? And if we're not a part of that situation, then we have to go to our knees and pray. We have to pray down heaven in the spirit because we have to. And so he he has a message for those who don't follow that, right? Those on the outside looking in. I have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. Deeper truths as they call them. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. So he's encouraging those that don't get involved in that to just hold tight. I'm coming. I'll rescue you. So that's why we pray for the situation. We don't get involved. We don't, we don't cast lots, cast stones. We just pray because the Lord says, I'm coming. And I will smash them like clay pots. Woo. Because I'm going to give you, the people that stay true to me, authority. They will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I will give them the morning star. So that's why if we are involved in some situation like that, we got to stay true to God. We got to pray over the situation. And if we can't, don't have the authority to remove the individual, then we just trust God to have that authority to remove the individual because he does. And he will make the way. And we've seen it happen time and time again. I saw it happen with my own eyes where the where the individual was exposed and it all came tumbling down. And like clay pots, it all blew up in the person's face. So just trust in God and believe that he sees the picture more than we do and he knows the right way to take care of the situation so that we can all be held blameless and not get into these uh, worldly arguments. So it's it's good stuff what Jesus is telling John here. So then he writes to the church of Sardis. And he says, you know, he always starts out, I know all, I know all you do. So he gives them credit for what they're doing. I see that you have a reputation of being alive and you are, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Repent and turn to me. So they've become complacent. Sardis has become complacent and they're letting things slip through their cracks. And so he says, come on. Don't just sit there. Let's don't go through the motions. Don't be a church that just knows when to stand up and sit down, does the three songs, puts the $20 in the plate, and then listens to someone give a message and then walks out and says, okay, I went today. He says, come on, repent of that. Come and worship in the Spirit. Because you have to walk with me in white, for you are worthy. 
Because all who are victorious in this will be clothed in white. And I'll never erase their book name from the book of life. And I'll announce them before my father and his angels that they are mine. See, if we're complacent, he doesn't want that. If we're complacent in the church and we just go through the motions, faith without good works is dead, then we probably, we probably will get our name wiped from the book. Mm. Paul said, work out your own salvation. You know, and then he went into that whole dissertation that we got. James went into that dissertation that we got to have good works to go with our faith. We got to do good things. We got to, we got to, exercise our faith. I mean, think about that. You can be in the greatest of health, but if you never do any exercise, you're not helping yourself completely. So the church of Sardis has got to get it going. And then he talks to the church of Philly. No complaints there. And I love this. Because he's talking about this is coming from the one who is holy and true, the one who holds the key of David. He opens doors no one can close, and he closes doors no one can open. That's talking about Jesus, the holder of the key of David. Ooh, that's so good to me. And Jesus says, I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. Because you have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. So this is huge. When the great time of testing comes, those that persevere, Jesus holds the key of David, and he will open the door to protect us. What's that mean? Hey, man, if we are loving people like we're supposed to love people, like Jesus loved people, with a love like Christ that's unconditional and we persevere through the hard times, never giving up on our faith in Jesus, loving people like Jesus loves us. Are you hearing me? Persevering through hard times and not giving up on our love for Jesus and our love for people like he wants us to, then he's going to open a door that no one can close that allows us through that door so that when the real time of testing, we think we're tested now, but when the real time of testing comes, we'll be protected. Did you catch that? We'll be protected. And no one can take that from us. And while the whole rest of the world's being tested beyond testing, we're going to be protected and we're going to receive that crown that Jesus has for us. I don't know about you, but if we're going through a time of testing right now and we're obeying God, loving 
people like Jesus loved people unconditionally and not causing division, not coming strife, not demanding our own way, not saying my way or the highway, not being legalistic, just loving people. This is one of the greatest promises in this whole book right here that says this is why we live like Jesus. This is why we love like Jesus because this opens a door for us that many will miss all because we're persevering in the name of Jesus Christ. And there's so many that get caught up in their own way. And this, to me, is so super encouraging because I often wonder what you know when people are demanding their way and when people are saying my way or the highway when people and they're supposedly christian i always think about jesus before pilate and was he's being crucified and how he was speechless and I, I i just think about how why do we do that when we're supposed to love like jesus and then they will know we're his disciples and i think how many people can really tell we're his disciples if we're always saying, no, it's got to be my way. No, it's got to be my way. Jesus never said it's got to be my way. And in this very promise to the church of Philly, he's saying, because you've obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you. Wow. In that command is to love each other as I have loved you. And then they will know you're my disciples. Man, that's just so huge to me. Because that opens a door that won't be open to many others. And I just love that whole thing there to the Church of Philly. So that's good news, folks. That's really good news. Because in the Church of Laodicea, which is the last one we're closing with, Jesus says, I know the things you do, and you're neither hot nor cold. Now, I wish you were one or the other, because if you were hot, that would be great. You're burning for Jesus, and if you were cold, that would give Jesus something to work with. But when we're lukewarm, we're undecided when we're in and out of the door all the time, it makes Jesus want to vomit. <laughs> he wants to spit us out of his mouth. You know, it's like something that he just can't stand. And it's like wretched and miserable to him. So he says, I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that is purified by fire. Then you'll truly be rich and get your white garments from me so you'll not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, says Jesus. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Man, that's huge. We got to quit waffling, man. We got to quit looking at, he said, she said, we got to quit looking at, you know, what's right, what's wrong. We know the truth. The truth is in this word we've been looking at all year long. And that's what we got to stand on. Doesn't matter whose tribe we are a part of, what denomination we're a part of, it what matters is do we have that right relationship with Jesus Christ? Is he Lord of our life? 
doesn't matter if you wear something on your head or you don't wear something on your head or if you take communion this way or you take communion that way. What matters most of all is, is Jesus the Lord of your life? And do you love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love each other as Christ loved us? So that people will know there's something different in you and you're his disciple. He closes out with that all familiar verse. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. Those are, who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. You know, that door, like I've said, doesn't have a doorknob on his side, so it's up to us to open it. So as we look at these seven churches, which one do you relate to? And I don't know about you, but I love the promise in the church of Philly. Let's strive for that so that when the real day of testing comes, we can have that door. Because Jesus loves us, so we should love like that. Have a great Saturday. We're going to worship the Lord tomorrow. Let's worship in spirit like he's called us to do. And have a great Christmas Eve. We'll see you tomorrow as we keep venturing into Revelation. Oh, I trust in God, my Savior.